Welcome back to the Stronger by Science Fireside Chat series. I am your host, Greg Knuckles. I'm joined today by special temporary guest co-host, Eric Trexer. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, It's been a while since we've done a fireside chat, so just to remind everyone how things go around here, uh, this is not a fitness and or science-focused episode. This is just uh, a chat between friends. We're keeping it light. We're keeping it good vibes only. Uh, And yeah, this is going to be kind of our 2020 year in review fireside chat episode and looking ahead to 2021. Uh, We're recording this on January 5th, so let me start by saying Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, Since we're recording this on January 5th, that means the holiday season is finally over. Uh, What officially marks the end of the holiday season is the end of Toyotathon, as we all know. That ended on January 4th, so we are officially out of the holidays and into the new year proper. So uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's look back and look ahead. Yeah, quick question. When do the Happy Honda Days end? I believe Happy Honda Days does end at some point in December. Okay, cool. Then yeah, we should be we should be in the clear and ready to begin a new year. Yeah, and, and of course the Lexus December to Remember sales event, that is fully self-contained within December. Yeah. As we all know. Um so yeah, uh before we get started, actually, I do need to address the elephant in the room, uh, being the elephant in the last episode of the podcast. Uh, I forget the context for this, but we got very off topic. And I mentioned that uh, ancient folks probably came up with the idea of cyclopses because they came across the skull of an elephant, which has just one big hole in the middle of the head. Uh, I incorrectly said that that is where both the, like, eye stuff and also nasal stuff was that is in fact just the nasal stuff uh the eye the eye holes for elephants are on the sides of the head uh i need to correct myself there in my defense uh i was mainly making a point about cyclopses there uh there is a finite amount of time to do pre-episode research and most of the research heading into that episode uh, I was focusing on the uh, anatomy of cryptids instead of the anatomy of pachyderms. Um, so yeah, th- that's 100% on me. Uh, we were thinking about making this a pachyderm podcast moving in- into 2021. Uh, I fear that I have unfortunately already shot all of our pachyderm credibility in the foot, so we might be forced to stick with fitness stuff. Um, so that's unfortunate, but... It's fine. And the thing to me that's really disappointing is um, I've actually been withholding a lot of human good news, but I've been purposely trying to focus on animal good news to give us a little bit of a runway, kind of a pathway toward a more animal-focused show in general as a spinoff. And I feel like a lot of that was just wasted effort at this point. But we'll continue doing human and fitness stuff for the time being. All right. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's kick this episode off by talking about lessons we learned in 2020 do you want to do you want to start us off Trex? i absolutely do so yeah we're going to talk a little bit about lessons learned and then kind of what we're focusing on some of our goals for 2021 um i do want to put a caveat at the beginning of the episode so the fireside chats we do not do thorough research for and apparently even for our normal episodes we don't because we're just botching elephant facts left and right But like, I'm going to be talking about some things when it comes to goal setting that like, 
research exists, and I have not read it. (laughs) (laughs) So so just to frame this for the reader, because one of the things that does get under my skin is if you do evidence-based stuff and like you say four things that are evidence-based and three that just kind of feel good and you don't tell people which are which. And so like someone listening can't tell which of those is just your hot take and what is actually evidence-based. So like if you're listening along, imagine you're around the dinner table with Greg and I, and we're just spouting off about what we want to do next year and just kind of saying, ah, this seems like a good goal to me. We haven't thoroughly reviewed the goal setting literature. So take it with a grain of salt. Anyway, we're talking first about lessons learned. So you know, I, I thought that 2020, just kind of looking back at things I noticed along with things I learned in 2020, it was a really solid year for research, in my opinion. And I mostly follow the sports nutrition literature, so literature about getting leaner, stronger, more muscular, performing better, etc. So I thought there was a lot of cool stuff this year about nitric oxide boosters, which have a special place in my heart because that was what my dissertation research was about really cool stuff about glycogen and carb availability. Um, You know, every month we do an internal peer review of our mass articles. And Helms and I spent far too much time this year getting really into the nuanced interpretation of glycogen and carbohydrate research. Um, And it just gets more interesting the deeper you go. There's some cool stuff about insulin sensitivity and hypertrophy, and we're still kind of pouring through some of that research as we speak. And and, uh, I think we're going to have more content coming out about that eventually. Uh, And also caffeine and genetics. You know, uh, caffeine and genetics was one of those things. I wrote a book chapter, co-authored a book chapter about caffeine only a few years ago. And they were like, Eric, you cover the genetics part. And at that point, there was like, a couple studies about these different genotypes that seemed influential, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. And then a couple studies came out that really reinforced, oh, this is really important. And I was like, damn, I wish those were around when I wrote that chapter because I left it very uh, ambiguous, kind of equivocal. And now, <laughs> now things are starting to turn the other way. And now I'm like, thank God that stuff wasn't available when I wrote that book chapter because I would just be wrong as hell. Um, but yeah, there, a lot of really interesting stuff going on. Um, now, in general, so I, I didn't have a, a portion in my outline talking about research stuff. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to slot in here real sure, quick. Do it uh, on it's the your tra- show. That is true. Yeah. Uh, so on the training side of things, uh, a, a few areas where also the the research did kind of blow up this year. There was a ton of stuff on velocity based training that. Uh, that area of, of the literature really, really matured this year, I would say. Uh, and w- one of the other areas where I was kind of surprised by both how many research results there were and how positive they tended to be um, was on w- what I guess I would call like technological aids for training. So we, we talked about um, phototherapy, low-level laser therapy on a, on a previous episode of the podcast. Uh, there's more stuff that's come out about that. It still does seem to be quite positive, which still does kind of surprise me, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, there've recently been, I'd say in the last six months or so, there've been four or five pretty decent studies on, um, hypoxic preconditioning. So basically, uh, before training, you basically like cut off blood flow to a limb for five minutes and then let it go again for like five minutes or so and then cut it off for five minutes again. And like 
that hypoxic preconditioning seems to like fairly notably improve work capacity. Um, so that's cool. Uh, that's previously been used in cardiac rehab stuff. Uh, and it, it just seems to be kind of making it to exercise performance research and, and that stuff tends to be pretty positive. Uh, and then the one that I was positive was bullshit. The first time I saw ads for it was uh, transcranial direct current stimulation. Um, and like, I'm still, I'm still pretty skeptical of that literature to be honest. Uh, Cause like the, the stuff I've seen on it. So it's basically like you put a thing on your head that has electrodes and it stimulates uh, like a particular portion of the brain that is supposed to improve motor output, basically. Um, and the the research I've seen is kind of all over the place, like where they position the electrodes. Uh, a lot of them don't go into a ton of details about like how exactly they make sure the electrodes are positioned exactly right to begin with. And like, I'd assume that it would need to be... Um, pretty precise and accurate electrode placement uh and and like the region of the actual brain where the electrodes are placed over like the, a lot of that is like fairly variable but most of the studies do do tend to have pretty positive results um and most of them at least don't declare any conflicts of interest so like i i still there's still a lot of a lot of skepticism in my soul about that literature and i i think a lot of that skepticism comes from the original ads that I saw for uh, transcranial direct current stimulation products. And like these products were hitting markets before actual like exercise research existed. Like it, it had been tested for some like disease states, but like it hadn't really been tested in athletes yet. Uh, but people still came to market with products. And I was just like, yeah, okay, sure, sure, buddy. Um, and there were some outrageous claims about it about this technology in the early ad copy so i think that's what like really really got me skeptical but the the research still keeps progressing along from multiple different ads no declared conflicts of interest and it does still continue to be quite positive so i'm uh i'm warming up to that as well uh and there there was quite a bit of research on that in 2020 yeah i mean one of the reasons that i brought up some of my like little fun highlights from the year of research is because, you know, I think this year, one of the lessons I learned is that there's just no way that I'm ever going to get tired of this whole research interpretation game. Um, and like, you know, whenever you do something for a living, I think you should always be thinking like, am I going to love this forever? Or do I need to like have a different plan in mind? <laughs> like, am I just going to get sick of this eventually? And this year was one of the really positives that emerged was I just recognized like there's just no way I could get sick of it because, you know, of course, there are so many different topics that we still need to get more information about. But even just the skills that you can continue to develop along the way, like uh, this year, I, I got way more into linear mixed models and the statistics used in meta analyses and equivalence testing. And I already have a list of the next topics I want to really dive into when it comes to research interpretation. The, the next topics in terms of research topics, but also which skills I want to develop in the future. And, you know, I run through the list in my head and I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm going to live long enough to actually <laughs> get to the end of the list. And, and like that, 
sounds morbid, but that's a pretty cool thing. You know, there's so much to be learned and so many skills to be developed there. So I'm, I'm really stoked about that. And it kind of ties into another really cool thing about this past year, which is that you and I, I mean, we work together side by side and we look at papers and dig into them. And I think this past year, we've gotten both of us more and more thorough and creative about poking and prodding at research uh, that we're skeptical about, you know, and I, I think in the past, I had a tendency to say, oh, that that seems weird. Guess we'll never know. And I just shut the PDF and move on. But this year, more than ever, I, I think both of us have said, well, this seems weird. What are the implications of that? You know, if this is accurate, what also must be true? Uh, and just kind of testing and poking and prodding and getting creative about like, how can we actually determine if this is truly weird or if we just have a gut reaction that's not true? You know, like if our skepticism is actually justifiable and well-founded in a quantitative sense. So so that's been a lot of fun. And I've never enjoyed puzzles. I actually hate doing puzzles, uh, which is a problem because my girlfriend loves them. And so like a lot of times she'll do a puzzle if we're like on vacation and I'll just like lay on the ground and stare at the ceiling and think about stuff. But uh, I don't get whatever people get out of puzzle doing, but it's got to be something like this. Like when you when you have skepticism, like like physical puzzles, physical puzzles. OK, yeah. OK. But like in the same thing, like crossword and Sudoku, is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, people do like puzzles and like brain teasers and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I've never understood the draw of it. But I think it has something to do with this. I think they're getting a similar thing from like what I get from poking and prodding at research. And when, when you get to that moment where it all makes sense and you're like, okay, I figured out what's going on here. It's such a rewarding and fun thing. Like, I, I think I finally get it. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't just like get that from a box. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I can't get, a, get out the puzzle pieces and recreate that. But yeah, th this year, one of the big things I learned was that there's, first of all, so much more to learn. And that's an awesome thing. And uh, I, don't, I don't think I can ever get tired of it. Now, there are also some things I learned kind of outside of the research world, um, more kind of personal stuff that I noticed in my life. So doing something in terms of exercise is better than nothing. And that's something I wrote a mass article about that this past year of like, you know, probably ought to do some activity, even if you're forced into a layoff. And of course, with COVID, that became extremely relevant with people losing gym access. But, you know, this year with my training, I was forced to make major modifications. Like I I'm one of those guys. I love going into a commercial gym, using all the, the toys there, all the different cables and, and, you know, dumbbells and barbells and everything else. This year I had to do a lot of my training with bands at home. And, uh, Ooh, you still need to use our new cable setup. I do. I still need to do that. Okay. So this is a completely uncompensated plug. Uh, I recently got, the like full set of stuff from uh angles 90 grips so like th those are uh like little things that you can hang on a bar to be able to do like rotating grip pull-ups uh and, and that that part's cool uh i like that um pronated and supinated pull-ups aren't great for me i've always liked neutral grip but these kind of let the grip rotate uh very ergonomic they feel good get a good pump from them so that part's cool, but in there, like full package, you can get you. It also comes with like a, a cable setup, um, and man, that's been so good for improving the kind of like flexibility of stuff I can do in a home gym. 
Uh, all of the equipment itself works well. If you have a little bit of creativity and ingenuity, you can set up just about any exercise that you would want to. Um, and yeah, so so for an affordable thing to really um, expand what you can accomplish in a home gym, both the grippers, like the angle 90s grips themselves and just like the cable setup you can buy from them as well, uh, strongly, strongly recommend. And like I said, that that's a completely uncompensated endorsement. I have no partnership with them whatsoever. Uh, but that, that has definitely been the coolest and best addition I've made to my home gym since I've had a home gym. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying that out. But so this past year had to make serious modifications. And I did have that point where I was like, should I even bother? <laughs> you know, like this isn't the way I enjoy training. So like maybe I just say screw it and, you know, do other stuff. But I, I was really amazed. You know, I had seen the research on it and I knew even with low volumes, if you get some solid resistance training work in, you can maintain a lot of your gains pretty effectively. I, I understood that from the research, but I was still blown away from a practical application standpoint this year. I barely trained this year, like in terms of what I would consider training, you know, heavy stuff, breaking a sweat, you know, really pushing it. Did some band work, did some pull-up stuff, push-up stuff. And I was absolutely amazed and thrilled at how much I was able to maintain muscle mass, body composition, and to some extent, strength. The strength dropped off a little bit, but I have done some heavier workouts in your home gym. And after like a couple weeks of hitting the heavy stuff, it's back. Like not fully, but it comes back quick. So I, I was really uh, pleasantly surprised at kind of learning that lesson, practically speaking, not just relying on the literature, but it, it's amazing how much better it is to do something than nothing. And it's amazing how much you can preserve with low training volumes. Another training thing I learned this year is, you know, I've been blaming exercise way too much for how much my, my hip hurts. I've got a bum hip. It's largely due to my wrestling career. Wrestling, I love the sport, but like if you look at what a wrestling stance is supposed to be, it's like staggered feet, hips are high, shoulders are low, you're crouched over. It ain't great. <laughs> like it's not a good stance to be in for a large percentage of your life. It's not very comfortable. So I had some lower back issues after my wrestling career, I had some hip issues. Part of that's on me. I wasn't that good. I'm sure I could have, <laughs> I probably could have avoided that if I was just better at doing what I was supposed to be doing. But anyway, I got into that mode. I mean, I've been training consistently since I was like 12 up until this year where I had to make major modifications, been doing heavy lower body stuff since I was like 12. And I just kind of assumed like, uh, yeah, my weight training stuff is really contributing to a lot of my hip and lower back pain. And if I just didn't do heavy lower body stuff for like a month, I'm sure it would clear up, but, uh, I don't want to do that. So I'll just keep pushing through it. Well, you know, this year I was forced to really drastically change my lower body training for certain periods of time. And the bad news is nothing got better, but the good news is nothing got better, which means like, it doesn't seem to matter <laughs> if I'm doing the training I love or not. Like I'm going to have to work around this no matter what. And that might seem like bad news, but to me, that's good news. Like it, it's just a thing that I can continue to work around. It's not debilitating. It's not a major issue. And this really means like, I don't have to feel guilty about going in and doing the lower body stuff I like to do. You know, once I'm able to do that more consistently, I don't have to feel like I'm, you know, screwing myself over and causing all this hip and back pain. Cause like 
that stuff just appears to be there regardless. So I should probably deal with that eventually. I'm sure I will, but I actually view that as kind of good news that my back and hip didn't really get much better when I ceased heavy lower body training. One thing I know I noticed this year, a thing I learned is that I feel like absolute horse shit when my sleep hygiene is bad and my sleep and wake cycle is out of whack. Um, one of the things I really did poorly this year is manage my sleep and wake times, did some really late nights that turned into really late mornings that turned into really shortened days that turned into some really weird stuff. My sleep and wake cycle was totally irregular. So even when I was getting, you know, six, seven, eight hours of sleep, the fact that that sleep window kept shifting so much day over day, week over week, for me personally, I just feel way worse when I do that. And I feel like even when I get enough sleep, I struggle to focus quite as well. I feel like cognitively, I'm not very sharp when I'm just breaking every rule associated with circadian biology, which like probably not a good idea. Like that, that stuff's not pseudoscience. It actually exists. So um, that's an important thing I learned that I'm going to act on this year. I also learned that having a little bit of structure in my schedule is good. Um, like having no structure at all in my schedule is bad. I lose time because I'm inefficient. Mm-hmm. At the same time, having too much structure in my schedule is bad. If I say like between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., I only do this single task, on a day where I don't feel like doing that task at that time, I misuse the time. You know what I mean? So it this upcoming year, I really want to focus on getting a balance of having flexible structure in my day where there are certain chunks of time where I do certain things, but there's at least some choice involved. So if I you know, get to my desk and it's supposed to be writing time and I feel like cranking out emails, fine, we'll make a quick swap, but we won't be inefficient. You know what I mean? Um, one other thing that I learned, I didn't really learn it, but I reinforced it. So like many, this year I spent a little bit more alone time uh, relative to other years. And I'm pretty, I don't know. I've heard people use terms when, when they talk about being an introvert or an extrovert. Apparently there's like a bunch of other categories I don't understand. I've never looked into it, but I think I'm introverted in the sense that like, I really enjoy my alone time and solitude. And if I do socialize, it's not that I don't enjoy it, but it drains me of energy. Like I can't talk for that long. You've seen sometimes with mass, we'll have three or four hour Skype calls. Dude, by the end of them, <laughs> I'm like, I, I probably look and feel like I just wish I was dead. Like, I'm so drained of energy. And I'm like, dude, I, I cannot keep going. So uh, I, I think that might just be a Skype thing, though. I think it's in person, too, though. Like, you've probably noticed that, like, when, when we do, like, family dinner, after, like, three hours of actually interacting with people i do check out for like 30 minutes i don't know if you've noticed but like aya has noticed no no yeah i'm just saying like i think uh i think like video chatting exacerbates that because i'm yeah i'm very extroverted but i'm dude after like two hours on any sort of video chat service i'm just fucking done yeah yeah i mean that, that it is much more tedious when you're doing it virtually but anyway this year i just kind of relearned or i guess reinforced how much I love solitude and that I have a really short but rechargeable battery life when it comes to continuous social interaction. So that's been a valuable thing to learn about myself. I've actually been able to kind of use that and kind of 
plan like okay if if i know i need to interact at this time i'm going to kind of figure out how to structure my day so i don't go into that already burnt out because it's just not fun or pleasant for anybody involved if you're supposed to be fun and interacting and stuff and you're just like completely tapped out for for that kind of energy so yeah that's the stuff i learned and you know we'll talk about goals later but uh greg 2020 what'd you learn yeah so uh (laughs) (laughs) Let me start by saying that uh, it was very smart of Trex to make this a fireside chat episode, which, uh, again, as we've established, is supposed to be very light, good vibes only. Um, Because if I was being completely honest and transparent here, uh, this section would be pretty dark and nihilistic. Um, But uh, I'll, I'll pretend like it's not for the purposes of this episode. Uh, so anyway, it's show business. You got to give the people what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me start by saying that I'm actually fairly proud of how I've done this year overall, which is pretty rare uh, because my internal dialogue tends to be fairly dark and my self-concept tends to be pretty low. Um, but uh, yeah, my my habitual problems have, you know, ever since... I was a wee lad, uh, are using time poorly, um, working too much and not spending enough time with people who matter to me, not sleeping enough and, uh, making stupid decisions in my training, uh, (laughs) that, that wind up getting me hurt and then having to take major time off of training. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I still have plenty of room to improve in all of those areas, but they did like every single one of them overall, did go better in 2021 than in years past. Uh, so still plenty of room to improve, but uh, definite progress, which is nice and quite frankly, kind of surprising because um, I'm not generally one for for the whole personal growth thing. Um, so some things that I think have contributed to that uh, are um, much like Trex brought up, I've kept a, a far more normal schedule this year than I have in years past. Um I'll still occasionally, eh, more than occasionally, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll still let my circadian rhythm get way out of whack, but way less in 2020 than in previous years. Um, you know, I've, I've kept more normal working hours. I have slept a larger proportion of nights uh, than normal, uh, way fewer all-nighters. And, and I think that um, that's been... I mean, that's been huge for me. That's that's definitely contributed to uh, improving productivity. Uh, another thing that helped me a ton is taking time completely off. So, um, like, just kind of the way I was raised is you don't take time off when you have work to do. And that worked really, really well through childhood. That worked really well in college. Uh, that worked really well when I was someone else's employee, uh, and, you know, I, I had working hours. That worked really poorly when I started my own business uh, because there is virtually an infinite to-do list <laughs> at all times. And when you mark something off, something else gets added. There, there are always things you can do. And so, you know, th- this mindset that had previously been very, very good and productive became incredibly counterproductive uh, because I'd wind up working way too much. uh, And, you know, as you work more, your efficiency gets worse and worse. Uh, And then I'd also like 
have this sense of guilt about taking time completely off. Because I was just like, you know, the way my life has always worked up to this point is if I have things on my to-do list, I shouldn't take a break. I shouldn't take time off. Uh, And then I'd like feel guilty about doing things that weren't working. Um, And that, uh, that, (laughs) that really wasn't good. Um, So yeah, I, I've really been working on kind of my mental space around time off and focusing on, you know, just saying like, Hey, there's still things on my to-do list, but I got enough done today. Like I can not think about work this evening, be fully in the moment, fully present, not have to feel guilty uh, about spending time with my wife or people I care about or, you know, just doing something for me um, that's not work. So that's, uh, I I think that that was good for my productivity. I worked less this year than previous years and still got just as much done. So that was a big plus. uh, And I ended up being able to spend a lot more meaningful meaningful time with the people I care about. Um, now, how long have you been working for yourself? So like, when did you make that transition from, you know, your work is given to you yeah. from people to now it's completely on you. So it, it came in stages. I mean, I, I started making some money coaching in 2012. Um, but I, uh, my own businesses weren't my primary source of income until I think early 2015. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been about five years. Uh, and the first, the first four years of owning a business were very rewarding and also very bad for my mental health. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm starting to get a better handle on how to approach all of that. Yeah, because two things jumped out to me as you were talking about some of these lessons learned. Uh, first of all, I still don't understand how we're friends. Um, you know, you mentioned that your self-concept is pretty negative. Your internal dialogue is pretty uh, pretty dark, pretty morbid. And mine is too. You would think that our presence in the same room would be just catastrophically toxic. But you seem to have a much different reaction. Like the things going on in our heads are quite similar, but the way we react to them are polar opposites. So, I mean, this is what I, (laughs) let's just go for it. Fuck it. So this is what I removed from, uh, from the original outline when, Oh, and I was glad you removed it. So now uh, now I feel terrible. No, it'll be fine. Like, I think this is a, a useful reframing. So, um, in, in the original version of the outline that Trek sent to me, there was, you know, a phrase at the top that shows up at the top of all of our fireside chat outlines that was good vibes only in like 14 point font. Uh, and I, I put my outline in of the stuff I wanted to talk about. And part of that was like kind of my mindset around things. Uh, and then I pulled the outline back up a day later and, uh, Good vibes only was now increased to 24 point font <laughs> and highlighted. Uh, and I, I looked through my outline and I was like, okay, yep, this is probably what, what Trex wants me to amend. Uh, I wasn't going to make you, but I just wanted to say like, <laughs> hey, on the front end going into this, like, you know. No, I, 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 I can take a hint. Uh, but anyway, no. So I, I think the reason we process uh, dark thoughts very differently is like, I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I don't think people believe me, but I'm uh, 
I'm brutally nihilistic. Um, and so, like, and also, like, I don't think, I don't think free will exists. Like, I think the world is deterministic. I don't, I think that uh, your your moment-to-moment experience is the result of, like, chemical processes in your brain that are all deterministic. Like, I, I don't see a, I, I don't see an avenue through which uh, free will and, like, true, robust human agency can exist. Uh, so, yeah, I, like, my moment-to-moment experience is that I have free will, but I think that's uh, a, a very intricate illusion. And so, like, I've uh, <laughs> I've internalized that sense of, of nihilism more and more with each passing year. And honestly, it's been great for my mental state. Um, because, like, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of along for the ride. You know, I'm uh, kind of just watching everything play out before me like a very, very engaging and engrossing movie. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> The movie's good. The movie's bad. I don't have any control over it either way. So uh, may as well just like sit back and enjoy it. Well, I mean, that does make sense because like with, you know, the way that I always, uh, I I tend to think about things and be like, oh, there's a lot of bad things and then I'll verbalize them. And I guess if your inner monologue was far more positive than mine, then that would really be devastating to the likelihood of us being friends right you'd, yeah. you'd have to shut it down you'd be like no trex it can't all be this bad no i i think a lot of our friendship is based on like mutually validating <laughs> the worst and darkest impulses we both have yeah well that's that's terrific yeah you love to see it um <laughs> the, the the other thing i noticed when you were talking the reason i asked like when did you start doing this yeah i've been doing this for two years now and what you're describing is like the bad stuff you used to do in time in terms of your time management, your sleep schedule, things like that. Those are just new habits that I adopted the day I started doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it is nice uh, to see that you did all that stuff, have been there, and that you're noticing some pretty profound improvements now that you have worked on that. And you have a more normal schedule, you're more mindful about taking actual time off so that that's really encouraging to see first of all that i feel like most of the people we talk to that have gone their own way and done their own thing had those couple years there where they just overworked didn't take any time off and it, it just generally wasn't positive mm-hmm. uh, so hopefully i can join you and next year when we record this i can say hey uh i improved that a lot and boy do i love it but so here here's another thing that i guess it is worth pointing out um yeah, so if if you're listening to this and you have like recently started a business and you're trying to get it off the ground or like, you know, maybe you started a business a year or two ago and like it's it's not quite paying the bills quite as well as as you want to yet. Uh I don't view myself as like a business guru by any sense, but I I I definitely I I think it would probably not be great um to listen to this conversation as kind of like generalized advice about getting a business off the ground. Cause like at this point we have the luxury of stronger by science and mass both being like pretty, pretty well-established businesses. Um, Very good point. I don't think the early part of my career would have gone 
as well. Uh, if I didn't have those very deeply ingrained workaholic tendencies, um, like, and again, don't take that as a recommendation because like, there are certainly people who have successful businesses that didn't like completely work themselves into the ground to get there. But f for me personally, if I didn't, uh, <laughs> if, if I only worked the amount that was healthy, uh, I don't think stronger by science would have gotten to where it currently is. Um, so anyway, I mean, like work-life balance is a big thing. I am definitely not the person to ask about it because I have, I previously had horrendously bad work-life balance and now I just kind of have like garden variety, bad work-life balance. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, uh, if, if you own your own business and it could be better if you worked more, that's a question to ask yourself. Like, what would you have to sacrifice for you to get more work in your business and for the business to go better? And like, is that worth it to you? In hindsight, honestly, like it's hard for me to say because I, I love what I currently do, but also I, I feel like I more or less mortgaged my mid twenties to get here. Uh, and <laughs> I hear your mid twenties are supposed to be pretty good. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, do with that what you will. I'm laughing because I've, I've had this conversation. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are about to start grad school mm -hmm. and who want to do, a, you know, six years of it, master's, PhD all together. And they asked me like, well, what were your work habits like as a grad student? And <laughs> what's so funny about that? So yeah, Greg saw me in my natural habitat. Uh, he did his master's toward the tail end of my PhD and his laughter indicates, dude, I worked a lot. Yeah. Like I, I'm not an exceptional talent or an exceptional researcher, but I was a lot more productive than most. And that was a very literal exchange of my time and happiness for research productivity, mm -hmm. you know? And I've had this same conversation with people who are about to enter grad school and they say, well, how much should I work? And I go, well, I don't know, but I worked an obscene amount that was unsustainable. And then at the end of it, I was met with a number of rem remarkable opportunities and they say, well, was it worth it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think so. Like I, I wouldn't redo it. Cause like the, the opportunities I had on the other side were remarkable. It's kind of like you were saying with setting up a business, if you're able to get it to a point where you're like, okay, it's established and it's working the way I want it to. You look back at it and you're like, well, I can't say I regret you know, putting in all that time and effort and having those questionable, <laughs> pretty intense work habits. Um, so it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a trade-off and the, the cost benefit, uh, analysis is, is kind of subjective. Yeah. And honestly, if someone tries to confidently tell you that they know what that cost benefit analysis is, they're full of shit. Yeah. Cause the thing is like, I, looking back on it, I do feel like pretty decent about the, the choices I made. Um, but at the same time, like, I can't test the counterfactual. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I, I can't go back and do it differently to know if, I mean, I, I feel like I can state pretty confidently, I definitely could have been happier in the moment if I did things differently. <laughs> uh, would, would I be would I be happier now? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's hard to say. I, I think that there is too much glorification of, like, quote unquote, rise and grind culture. And the other thing I'll say is, like, um, one of the risks that I don't think is 
discussed enough is like the fact that it might not work out, you know? So, I mean, we're, we're on the other, this is gone. This is not a good vibes only episode. <laughs> I don't care. It's, it, I think it's decent. Yeah. Fuck it's it. Fine. Um, but yeah, so I mean like it, it worked out for me. Like it's paid off. The business is going well. Um, hopefully it continues to do so. I, I have a good sense of ownership over it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I feel pretty good about where my life currently is. But the thing is, like, a, a, I don't want to throw a number out there, but like a good chunk of attempts at starting a business fail. Um, and so, I mean, like, I feel like I can confidently say if I went through, you know, what I, what I went through from 22 to 27, 28, uh, and the business never did get off the ground, and, you know, I... I more or less just like mortgaged my early twenties for, you know, a shot that didn't pan out. And then I still just like went back to work for someone else. And like, especially if I would have wound up going into debt, like trying to, trying to make the business work. I feel like I wouldn't look back on that fondly at all. (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, like, yeah, that's a, that's a distinct possibility as well. Like I, you know, do what you want to do with your life. I don't want to try to persuade or dissuade you from doing anything. Um, I don't know. I, I'm. I think I'm mostly saying this for myself, I guess. Uh, and also to to warn you, if uh, if someone's saying like, "Hey, this is what I did here, are the sacrifices I I made," um, you know, it worked out well for me, or it didn't work out well for me. Don't don't necessarily assume that that's like a generalizable statement. And also keep the bias in mind that most of the people that you're going to be hearing business advice from are from people whose businesses worked out. Uh, you don't hear from the people who didn't. Uh, and so, I mean, like that's that's a side of the calculus that you you rarely hear discussed and rarely hear perspectives on so i'm smiling because i'm just gonna swing so hard for the fences here with just the a morbid home run like (laughs) i know that i said good vibes only but (laughs) i'm just going for it i feel like it's like i'm gonna one-up you so hard here So just to reiterate, I made a lot of sacrifices in grad school. I certainly could have had a more pleasant six years if I worked less, but I, I don't regret it because I, I was I came out of it with remarkable opportunities, which which was awesome. So I, I like where I'm at, and it was totally worth it. However, as you know, <laughs> about five and a half years into that six year period, I received a pretty confident cancer diagnosis <laughs> and it if it was true then i i actually had like a pretty advanced case cuz like i had had the symptoms i was reporting for like 18 months yeah and like a, a doctor told me like listen we need to run the tests but like eh, you got it <laughs> you know like and so, like, I mean, they kept the place open late so they could get the tests in that day so that we could go ahead and get started on treatment. You know, like, let's take the weekend and then let's get started. Yeah. Well, it turns out that that diagnosis was not accurate. I did not have cancer, fortunately. But, like, literally, I can tell you, I walked out of that office and I sat in my car and I said, none of that shit was worth it. Yeah. I regret 100% of it. 
so like like you said the cost benefit stuff like a lot of it is calculated purely in hindsight based on like how it turns out and, and a lot of it's calculated uh based on like looking ahead mm-hmm. you, you know because yeah uh like not to cut you off too hard but like you know i'm 29 now business is going well uh i'm pretty happy with my life and so you know i'm anticipating that uh that will more or less be the case for the rest of my working life but the thing is uh i feel like i can say this like if i uh went to the grocery store tonight and got in a car wreck and died uh and someone could like ask me you know, right before I drew my last breath, was it all worth it? Fuck no. Are, are you kidding me? Because the thing is, like, the, the thought is, like, you know, you're you're going to uh, spend time doing something and, like, hopefully it pays off in the long run. But, like, if there's no long run, uh, yeah, you know, that the, the calculus completely changes. You know, if I could add one more regret to my list of regrets, it would be bringing up this conversation. I, I regret that mightily. So... Let's get back to the very enthusiastic things <laughs> things that you learned this past year. Uh, I mean, the next one's not like super optimistic, um, but but on, on the research side of things and, and the research interpretation game, I, I would largely echo Eric's thoughts. Um, I think I've expanded my skills quite a bit. Uh, I think I've also gotten more jaded about the scientific publishing process. We've talked about some of those reasons on the podcast. Um, there there was another saga that's been playing out behind the scenes as well that I'm not currently at liberty to talk about, but I've uh, I've got a good story for you guys at some point once uh, once something is resolved. So I'll, I'll throw that out as a teaser. Um, listen to all of the episodes in 2020 and 2021 to uh, figure out when when I can actually tell that story. Um, on the training front, I've really embraced rep-based progression, uh, and it's worked out really, really well for me. So for for most of this year, the way I've set my training up is I'll pick a movement, and uh, you know, ideally, it's it's something that I can do for like a three to five rep max to start with, and then uh, in my training sessions, like. The, the main working set I do is just trying to beat my old rep PR. And the thing is, like, that has worked really, really well for me in the past. Um, but I've gotten away from it for a couple reasons. The biggest reason is, like, I don't love it, I guess. Um, I, I really, <laughs> I love doing heavy singles. Uh, there is a reason I'm a powerlifter. Um, but, uh, like, looking back at past training logs... Generally, I have had a lot of success with the rep-based progressions. And I think one of the reasons for that is if you're not making progress particularly quickly anymore in your training career, which like I'm not because I've been doing this for a long time, it it's generally, um, I find at least, it's generally easier to add a rep and have it feel like real tangible progress than to add more weight to the bar, at least like an amount of weight that like I personally care about. So for like, for, for pressing exercises, like I don't care about two and a halfs and fives, like, you know, unless I can put some more tens on the bar, 25s, like I'm like, yeah, who cares? Whatever. Uh, and for lower body stuff, 
I pretty much only work with like plates and 25s <laughs> um, be, because like for me personally, I feel like, okay, if I hit a heavy triple at uh, like 585 on deadlift or something like that, and, and next week I come in and I do 590, like to me, that doesn't feel like progress. I know intellectually it is, um, but, you know, it's one of those things where like, ah, whatever, like you can get in your head, like, maybe the 585 was easy, but the 590 was, like, actually quite hard. And it's like, oh, but but it's only five pounds. Uh, so maybe I, I actually regressed, but I was still able to knock out that triple. You know, like, that that's something that can get in my head. Um, and so, like, the reason I, I tend to make, like, pretty big weight jumps is, like, those are the jumps where I feel like, okay, like, if I can knock this out, I have definitely gotten stronger unambiguously. And the thing with rep-based progressions is is it's not that hard to do like it's way easier to add a rep to an exercise than like 20 or 50 pounds to the bar um but i i also feel like okay if i got six reps last time and the last one was a grinder and i got seven reps this time that is like actual real progress that i can be confident in um so so like psychologically it's been working pretty well for me uh physiologically it's been working pretty well for me um like i've i think i'm at or very close to my all-time strongest, which is definitely a good feeling. Um, so yeah, deal with that what you will. It's been working out well for me. Another thing that I've that I found, it's not like a new discovery, I guess, but one of the things that was really reinforced for me on on the training side of things this year is that for me, doing what I call feel good work. Uh, is just as important for me as my main training sessions. So, uh, and, and especially for lower body stuff. So if between squat and deadlift workouts, I can, you know, like carve out about an hour or so once and ideally twice uh, to do some static stretching, some lacrosse ball rolling on my hips, some split squats, some single leg RDLs, some side bends, some like really, really long, low weight pause squats, uh, some calf raises, some Jefferson curls, stuff like that. Um, it just makes everything go better. Uh, that that I don't want to state this as a generalizable thing because I know like PT and like injury folks would get mad at me, but like it's a fireside chat. You can say whatever you want. Okay, when I personally do stuff like that, I don't hurt my back, and when I don't do stuff like that, I do hurt my back. And I've, <laughs> I've experienced both of these things enough times that I feel like for myself, I can draw that inference, not, not trying to generalize it to anyone else, but that's what I've observed for myself. Um, so, so yeah, it, it keeps me healthy, keeps me feeling good. And also it seems to improve progress. Um, like w when I'm consistently doing stuff like that, I feel good and I get stronger. And when I don't do that stuff, uh, I plateau, I stall and I get hurt. Um, so that's, I mean, like it, that process has repeated enough times that for me, I can take that as a fact. Uh, and it's, it's something I, I have to do. And I've been much more consistent doing stuff like that this year than previous years. Um, another, <laughs> another big area of personal growth for me as someone who works online is, uh, improving it, not getting sucked into arguments. So like I used to be so bad about this. I like when I first started working online, I'd get sucked into arguments on Facebook all the time. Uh, and still like every day 
people will tag me in threads where the person tagging me knows that I will disagree with whatever was posted and they're like hoping that I'm going to argue with the person who made the post. Uh, or I'll like get an email that's like, Hey, want to come on a podcast and debate someone? Uh, or like someone will link me a thread where someone's like talking shit or like misinterpreting something I've wrote saying like, Hey, don't you want to set them straight? And like, no, I don't. Uh, I used to always engage with stuff like that. Um, and looking back at it every single time over the last like five, six years, every single time that I've taken the bait and engaged in something like that, regardless of how the discussion ends up going, I always look back on it as a waste of time. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've never... I've never taken the, the bait and looked back and said, ah, yes, that was a good use of time and I have no regrets about doing it. Uh, and so, like, I've really improved this year uh, on not taking the bait. And that that has to have reclaimed, like, dozens of productive hours in my life. Uh, and so, like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of myself for not engaging online. Uh, and then the last thing I have here is... Um, I've got, I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, you know this, but I've gotten way more into cooking and baking. Uh, and that's also been really great for me. So it's, it's a fun hobby. I like doing it. Um, and it's something that I like to be able to do for family and friends. One thing worth noting, if you do see my cooking Instagram posts and Instagram stories, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, like, how does, how does Greg eat like that all the time? I don't. Uh, I do not make any of that stuff for myself. So, um, that's exclusively stuff that I make for friends and family. And, uh, that's, that's good for me because, um, <laughs> like, like we've mentioned like three times before on this episode already, uh, I do kind of have like self-worth issues. And for me, like I, I, I do still feel guilty when I do take time completely for myself uh, and and have like completely like Greg focused hobbies, I guess. Uh, and, and like, that's what lifting is, you know, like I, I do it for myself. It feels good. I don't do it for anyone else. Um, but then I feel like kind of guilty if I invest way too much time in training because, you know, that's time that I could be spending like more productively or doing something nice for someone else. Uh, and so with cooking, it, it's something that I really, really enjoy doing. Um, but I, I can do it like to make other people happy and to be able to give them something. Uh, so it's probably my only hobby that I have like not even a kernel of guilt associated with. Uh, and it's uh, it's been good to have a hobby like that. All right. Good stuff. All right, now we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about some goals for the upcoming year. So now we're looking forward rather than backward. And I'm going to go quick through mine because um, I I love the audience and I'm sure they love me, but I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about me for you know 30 minutes. So the reason I want to share these is I think it could be kind of instructive. Like maybe it gives you a good idea about how to reframe some of your own goals or maybe you hear a goal and you're like oh that might actually work out well for me so um what i'm doing this year is really just focusing on building better habits um and you know it, it's tough because i'm i'm at a crossroads with some of these goals because 
you know, they, they always talk about a smart goal where you want it to be pretty specific and quantifiable whenever possible. But when you talk about habit building, one of the terms that comes up a lot is friction, right? You, you want to add more friction between you and the habits you're trying to stop doing. And you want to reduce the friction between you and the habits that you want to develop. You know, you want to make it easier on yourself and put yourself in a setting, in an environment where you're likely to succeed. So it's a delicate balance. You're going to see that some of my goals are intentionally less quantifiable than they could be or less quantified than they could be. So that'll make sense as I go through them. But that's one of my big overarching themes is I'm trying to focus more on building better habits rather than just like hitting specific metrics. Um, and another thing is that I'm trying to focus on adding good things to my life instead of avoiding bad things or removing bad things. Um, Ooh, so approach versus avoidance goals. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so one of the things I'm doing is I'm waking up at the same time every day. And I already started applying all these goals uh, as of like December 30th. Not because I think, you know, sometimes around New Year's, like two days before everybody says, oh, you got to start it now or else you're not hardcore and intense and you don't care enough and you're never going to succeed with it. That's not the case. But when I put these goals down on paper, I noticed that they were just things that made me feel so much better. And I was like, I really want to do all that now because <laughs> like I want to feel good. So waking up at the same time every day and preferably close to sunrise. So if I wake up at the same time every day, that's going to ensure that I go to bed at a pretty similar time because I know me, I am not going to cut my sleep short. Like I'm not going to stay up till three and force myself to wake up at 730. It's not going to happen. I will get myself to bed. Um, so I, I know that by waking up at the same time every day, it's going to cause me to go to bed at approximately the same time every night and get a more consistent pattern there. And the reason I'm waking up around sunrise is I'm really trying to maximize my exposure to sunlight just because it makes me feel better. Like it's not good for me to wake up at noon and then the sun goes down at like 5:15 and I'm just like, well the sun never came out today. I didn't experience it, you know? So just sitting in my office with the window open, enjoying the sunlight, it does a lot for me in terms of productivity and focus and just psychologically, I, I feel so much better. And then the circadian aspects of just having that normal sleep and wake schedule is a really beautiful thing. One of the things I'm doing to make this work is, so my worst habit, one of the habits that fortunately I haven't done it in, you know, about a week now, it makes me sick to think that I do this and I just keep doing it uh, in, until now. I have a really bad habit where I'll wake up and pick up my phone and just waste time on my phone while I'm still in bed. And it's the worst habit. And I, I just had so much trouble shaking it. So what I'm doing to avoid that and to have a consistent wake time, phone alarm every single morning, even if I don't have to really use it, just put the phone alarm on and put the phone way across the room. I know some people that's still not enough friction and they'll go and turn it off and get back in bed. But for me, if I'm getting up and I'm going to the phone and I'm turning the alarm off, I'm up and I can avoid that awful time suck of just laying in bed with my phone and I'm up for the day and it's all good. Um, and so another thing I'm doing outside of the, the realm of sleep and stuff trying to stay more hydrated. So I'm drinking at least two liters specifically of just water per day and trying to drink more tea at night. And what I find is if I accomplish both of those things, then 
I'll hit my total fluid goal for the day when you combine up my coffee in the morning and fluids from food and stuff like that. Is that decaf tea? Yes. Decaf tea. Yeah, that's a good point. Decaf tea at night. So a few like indirect effects of this. Uh, First of all, I feel way better when I'm consistently hydrated. Um, But I drink probably a little more alcohol than I should. Um, And like, don't send for help. It's fine. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I'm bored. <laughs> like I've been quarantined <laughs> for nine months, you know, or isolated. So like where I normally would have like maybe three drinks in a week. Now it's like, you know, maybe I'll have a drink a night, sometimes two. And it's just like a little bit more than I should drink based on the evidence available, I think. And and I feel a little bit crummy if I start to get to like two or three drinks, like the next morning, I'm not quite as sharp. I don't sleep as well. So like I'm trying to reduce my alcohol intake, not because it's like a huge issue, but again, it's just about feeling better. Um, and so what I notice is if, if I'm drinking two liters of water throughout the day and I'm drinking tea at night, some of that kind of boredom related alcohol intake, just because I like beer and bourbon, it just gets displaced because there's so many other fluids that I'm like, oh, I better drink this. I better drink that. Um, another unintended or I guess secondary consequence of drinking more water and tea is I'm less likely to overconsume caffeine. So I'm less likely because I have all these other fluids I got to get in to make a second thing of coffee. Every time I do it, I feel like crap and I sleep poorly that night and I just keep doing it. Like I keep making more coffee and I shouldn't. No, I, I noticed that as well. I, I used to, I used to be really bad about consuming way too much caffeine. Like I'd have three or four or five very heavily caffeinated beverages a day. Uh, and, and recently like I've, I've cut back to two and I think that works pretty well for me. And, and one of the things I would notice is like, uh, midday energy levels would really start dropping. I'd start feeling kind of bleh and be like, ah, okay, I I need more caffeine. And then I drink more caffeine and be like, eh, nope, still don't feel better. Uh, and then I chug some water and be like, okay, I feel pretty good now. Um, but like the, that third caffeinated beverage was completely unnecessary. Like if I just drank water, like th- that's what my body was calling out for. Uh, and so, yeah, now I, I start my my morning with two caffeinated beverages, switch to water. And that's uh, it, it hasn't negatively impacted my energy levels and and has been improving my sleep quality. So big cosine on that goal. Yeah. And another benefit of these fluid related goals. So like my morning looks totally different now. I wake up get the alarm off, get the the coffee brewing. And I start drinking some of my two liters of water for the day. And it's great because I used to wake up. And the first thing I did was like waste time on my phone in bed and then be like, you suck, Eric. But now I wake up, I, I go, you know, make some progress on my fluid goal for the day. And I feel like within the first 15 minutes of waking up, I'm already being productive and checking stuff off the list. Like it actually has been a really big boost for my morning mindset, which I'm not going to get into a bunch of like feel good nonsense, but like for me, that that's a nice thing. Um, another thing I'm looking for, uh, in this, this upcoming year is at least 30 minutes of structured exercise every day. It doesn't matter what, um, but like the gift and the curse of what we do is I think we both love it and it's very easy to keep working instead of doing exercise on any given day. And if I leave any wiggle room and say, I'm going to work out four times this week, I'll skip my exercise like the first three days of the week, you know, because I'll be like, oh, no, there's other days where I'll work out. But I just find that I'm skipping too much stuff. It's just not good. So every day, 30 minutes of something, 
could be, you know, stretching and foam rolling, could be cardio, could be lifting, could be a million things, but 30 minutes of something. Um, and, and that's been going really well. And again, it's just one more thing that you check it off the list and you feel really good about it. Like I feel better when I'm consistently exercising. Another one I'm looking for is, uh, having two high fiber meals per day. Now I could track that precisely and say, no, the goal is, you know, 40 grams of fiber a day, but I wanted to reduce the friction because like just the, the mechanical process of tracking and making myself get way more into nutrition tracking, which I'm currently not doing just based on my goals and where I'm at. Um, it's too much friction to put into the goal. I wouldn't have accomplished it because the process of trying to meet the goal would have been really off-putting at this point in time. So two high fiber meals per day, easy. I could quantify that better, but I think that's a nice low friction thing. And the reason I'm doing it is I feel better on a high fiber diet and it causes me to seek out some more diverse foods into my diet. So I get more grains, I get more vegetables, and, and I just feel really solid. And then the final thing here is unless I'm on vacation or unless I'm doing my big coaching check-in days, which are very, very busy, uh, in the morning, two hours of riding, no interruptions whatsoever. Uh, we have a lot of projects going on at any given time and we always have stuff to be riding. And it's, if you don't make the time for it in structured blocks, it's easy to get into that cycle of, I'll push it off till the evening. I'll start at 8 p.m. and then it's 3 a.m. and you're like, oh crap, I did it again, right? And now your sleep schedule is totally jacked up. So it just has to It just has to happen. A two-hour chunk of the day that cannot be touched that is purely for writing. No email, no social media, nothing else, just writing. Because we got a lot of writing to do, Greg. I don't know if anybody told you, but uh, we got a lot of stuff to do. Oh, Lindsay's going to tell us tomorrow <laughs> yeah. when we have our, our yearly review meeting. Yeah, that, that's true. So one of the big things this year when it comes to productivity is just picking chunks of time to truly focus and picking chunks of time to really let loose and take actual time off and just kind of simplify things. When I'm writing, don't have the email tab up and then you get an email and the little number in the parentheses goes up and then you're sidetracked. None of that crap. It's just got to stop. And that's it. Sounds good. Uh, so I, I'm not going to talk too much about my like process goals uh, that much because honestly, a lot of it would just be reiterating a lot of the same things you said. Uh, and I'm sure the audience doesn't want to hear the same stuff twice. So in terms of just like other random goals I have this year, um, so I've been in pursuit of several lifting numbers for a hot minute. Uh, that's a 800 pound squat, 500 pound bench and 800 pound deadlift. I feel really, really good about the squat number this year, as long as I can stay healthy. Um, I, I think I'm hopefully not too many months off of that. Uh, the bench goal I think should also be doable this year. Uh, we'll see on that. Um, there's a chance that I'll just not do the bench because like, frankly, I don't care. Um, <laughs> we've talked about this before. I hate bench. I'm so close to 500 that I'm just like, ah, fuck it. Like I've done 485. I should be able to get over that hump, but I don't know. Like I'm, I'm on a very squat focused cycle now. Uh, after that I'll switch to bench and there is a chance in a couple months I'll just be like, fuck this. I hate benching. I don't actually ever have to bench 500. I'll still be able to to live with myself and sleep at night. 
So anyway, that may or may not happen this year. And then depending how much actual focus I, I end up putting on bench, we'll see on deadlift. Um, cause that, that's the third one I'll get around to. It's the one that I'm, I'm the farthest off of. My best pull is 735. So I, I do have a considerable amount of work to do there. Uh, but, but lifting wise, those are, are still my goals rolling into 2021. Do you realize how many people you just pissed off by saying like, I guess I might as well do 500 <laughs> like on the bench, like, uh, just like, it's like, well, I mean, you might as well while you're here, you know? Well, no. So, Cause like, I know I'm upset on, on one hand. I do now understand how that probably came off. <laughs> Uh, I, I view it less in terms of like the actual numbers I'm throwing out there and more just in terms of like any goal that you feel like you probably should do, but aren't like particularly invested in doing, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck it. I I've already ruined this episode. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna push ahead. Uh, anyway, those are my lifting goals. Um, in terms of, uh, like business stuff, my, my biggest goal this year is to get more free content on the website. Um, so going back to the theme of having structure being good, uh, a couple of the things that have helped my productivity a lot are having mass to put out every month because I am going to write three articles for that, uh, and doing the podcast consistently because, you know, I have to learn things and outline episodes and talk about things. Um, so we we have been really consistently getting content out there, but the free stuff has mostly been audio and the written stuff has, has mostly been paywalled. Uh, and quite frankly, I just like putting out free written content. That's, that is the thing that I think I get the most joy from because... Uh, I personally like written content way more than audio content. Uh, and I, I like putting stuff out there for free. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing I want to accomplish business wise this year. Just, just make more time to get more free articles out. Um, and yeah, so that's, uh, Oh, another thing this year, uh, worth noting is we, we finally got the updated version of the stronger by science lifting programs out. And I spent a lot of time this year uh, (laughs) pretty massively upgrading those. So there were, I think, three spreadsheets when when it initially launched. And now there's like 14 spreadsheets in that bundle. Uh, Really good value. Just throwing that out there. But a a lot of work went towards that this year. Uh, And I think that that's a pretty set product now. I I don't foresee myself continuing to to update that very much. Um, So that, that should unlock quite a bit of time to write. Uh, and then for kind of like personal stuff, I guess like my biggest, my biggest goal this year is to continue improving at using my time. Well, um, so spending time on big things that will matter for the business, not getting as sucked into minutia on a day-to-day basis. Um, fully relaxing when I do have time to take time off and, and taking time for myself, uh, spending more quality time with my wife and my friends and my family. Um, cause yeah, I mean like whenever I look back at like good memories and things that have happened in my life, it's, it's generally when I'm spending quality time with people I care about. 
Um, so yeah, I, I want to be even more intentional about making more time for that this year. Good stuff. Well, that's pretty much what we wanted to cover in this uh, fireside chat, but we, we do each have some parting words, um, you know, as we're about to embark on this new year, 2021. Uh, the thing I wanted to leave listeners with uh, to close out the episode is, you know, with the goals that I have for the upcoming year, a lot of them are more process oriented. A lot of them are more habit related. And I, I talked about how a lot of it is just kind of setting up the environment to increase my likelihood for success. And so what I want to encourage people to do, if you do set some ambitious goals for 2021, if you fall short, if you start stumbling, um, don't internalize that as a just objective failure, because I don't think it's that simple. I think whenever we try to set a new goal and achieve it or try to develop a new habit and we fall short or revert back to old bad habits we tried to avoid, we really ought to try to utilize that as a, a learning tool. So like if you're falling short of a goal or you're failing to establish a new habit, instead of thinking like this entire thing is just a willpower equation and I either have enough or I don't, um, that's a pretty terrible way to frame a goal, in my opinion, in your mindset, because it basically just sets you up for like, 2021 will be an enormous uphill climb and I will either keep climbing or I won't and I'll fail. Like, I, I think it's much more valuable. And in my opinion, again, this is purely opinion-based, not evidence-based whatsoever. But in my opinion, it's much more valuable to say like, interesting, I tried to do a thing, I fell short. I wonder what I can modify in my approach or maybe how I can modify my environment in a way that increases my likelihood to actually succeed in it moving forward. You know, so like if I found that moving the phone across the room and, and setting the alarm every morning, if I was just crawling back in bed and messing around on my phone for 30 minutes, I'd have to reassess and say, okay, my environment modification did not work to actually induce the behavior I was looking for. What is a different environment modification I can try, you know, but, but the important thing is I, I don't think it makes sense to frame it as me versus my willpower. Let's see, you know, who wins here and, and see if I can just overcome this challenge that drains me of mental resources every single day from now on. I, I think, you know, recognize that you're just kind of a, you're kind of responding to your environment. You know, like that you're just kind of doing what is there and, and be like, okay, well, what can I modify here in terms of my approach that's actually going to help me? So, so don't beat yourself up if you fall short. Try to learn from it and try to modify your approach and see if you can kind of tweak the right variables to get yourself going in the right direction. All right. So, uh, for me, I, I first have to start give, I have to start by giving a shout out to, uh, whatever engineer product designer at Facebook came up with the Facebook memories function. Uh, Cause I think that that is probably the best piece of technology ever, ever designed for keeping people epistemically honest. Because like every time those pop up, uh, I, I scroll through them every day. Um, and <laughs> when I look back at every time I've tried to give like, generalized life advice in the past i just cringe like it it's either very stupid or like in hindsight it comes across as like very self-righteous and sanctimonious and i hate it every single time yeah uh 
So anyway, I mean, looking back on it, every time I've tried to to give people life advice before, it was very stupid, and so I have no reason to believe that it would be any less stupid now. Uh, so I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go back to the hits. I'm going to play some hits. I'm going to give a piece of advice I've given on the podcast before that has received both the most feedback and the highest ratio of positive feedback of any recommendation I've given on the podcast thus far. So uh, listen up. Brine your chicken breasts. If you're making boneless, skinless chicken breasts, it can be very dry. It can be very bland. If you brine them beforehand, it will make them so much juicier, so much more delicious. Uh, Somewhere between a 1% to 3% brine is the way to go. Uh, depending how uh, how salty you like stuff. So that means for every liter of water or uh, one kilogram of water, 1,000 grams of water, that's somewhere between 10 and 30 grams of salt. And if you want to draw a little bit more water in, and, and trust me, this really doesn't affect the macros to any meaningful degree, uh, somewhere between 10 and 30 grams of sugar as well, uh, just to increase the solutes in the chicken, keep more keep more fluid locked in. So a one to 3% brine, either just salt or salt and sugar, make sure it's fully dissolved in the water, brine the chicken at least overnight. Uh, and then you can cook it however you want, whether you're cooking it in a pan, baking it, it will massively improve your boneless, skinless chicken breast game. So brine your chicken. Uh, that is, those are my parting words and advice to everyone out there in 2021. I got a quick question for you. Yeah. You said a one to 3% brine solution. Yeah. If you include sugar, should you adjust the salt to keep it in? Do you have to go like 15 and 15? No, no it, it would it would be one, one, per- one to 3% salt and one to 3% sugar. Okay, cool. Just, yeah. just clarifying. I don't want people to start out 2021 on the wrong foot. That's the last thing we want. Absolutely not. But yeah, th- honestly, it, it makes it makes such a huge difference. And really just like, any any lean cut of meat that has a tendency to dry out, brining it beforehand is so, so clutch. So if you're making pork loin, brine your pork loin. If you're making pork chops, brine your pork chops. Uh, I, I like chicken thighs really with minimal preparation. Chicken thighs are delicious, but if you brine your chicken thighs, they'll be even better. Um, so yeah, any lean meat you're making, brine it beforehand. Uh, it will make it so much juicier, so much more flavorful. Uh, and, and those are my parting words for 2021. All right. Well, I think that does it for the episode, but it's your show. So, uh, why don't you take us out here? Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, again, belated happy Toyotathon. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we will be back with a normal episode pretty soon. Uh, and, uh, yeah, hope, uh, hope 2021 goes great for all of you. Thank you for listening to the Stronger by Science podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to sign up for our free newsletter to get concise breakdowns of relevant research, as well as 28 free training programs for all skill levels and all schedules. We hate spam just as much as you do, so we'll only email you when we have something really interesting to share with you. You can sign up for the free newsletter at strongerbyscience.com newsletter, or just go to the Stronger by Science homepage and click the free programs button at the top. If you want to join in on the Stronger by Science podcast conversation, be sure to check out our Facebook group and our subreddit. The links for both are provided in the description of today's episode. 
Finally, please remember that we are not medical doctors or registered dietitians. So, before you make any changes to your exercise or nutrition habits, be sure to check with a qualified healthcare professional. Once again, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon with another episode of the Stronger by Science podcast.